0: As the national season continues to roll on, we're starting to notice a little bit something with Davey Martinez here, and he is starting to play the heel role. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. And thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day as we are free and available wherever You Get Your Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Clare, and I have taken my passion for this team in a podcast form here with the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day. And on today's show, we're going to be getting into another MLB draft breakdown as Brandon Sproat, right-handed pitcher from the University of Florida. He fits Mike Rizzo's profile. I'm going to tell you about Brandon Sproat and why you should be intrigued with him with the 40th overall selection in round two. Then also, there is sort of an update on the latest with the Nationals' ownership situation. And as we all know, Ted Leonsis is still very much so in the hunt. I'm going to explain and really what has transpired over the last few weeks in a column written by Barry's Fluga of the Washington Post. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But let's start out with talking about last night's game and also Davey Martinez, Davy Martinez in yesterday's ball game before Ellie de la Cruz first at bat, we all know what happened. So, with that, Ellie de la Cruz has some weird rubbery thing on the bottom of the knob of his bat. And it's kind of this rubber thing. What I think it is, it just takes away the vibrations and has a little bit of a better feel on the barrel. Davy Martinez came out, challenged that, and said to the home plate umpire. What is this? I don't think I've seen anybody. I don't know what this device is. What's going on with it? The umpires then told Ellie De La Cruz to take that off his bat. Ellie De La Cruz has used that since day one in the big leagues. And we've talked about Davy Martinez and what he has done over the last month, you could say. He's tired of all this umpire antic stuff. Davey Martinez is not friends with the umpires currently, and I love it. To be honest, I love this kind of heel territory that he's stepping in right now. Davey Martinez came out and said, what is this? The umpires then got together, spoke super way too long, but pause got together and said, yeah, you got to take it off, Ellie. So he did take it off. And then the Cincinnati Reds called in New York, the commissioner's office, whichever one it was, they called them. They said, no, it is allowed. He is allowed to use that. And so he came up his second at bat with that rubber thing back on the knob of his bat. And then later on, we all know what happened. Ellie De La Cruz shipped the ball 455 feet, 112 miles per hour off the bat, and Davey Martinez did not get the last lap, to say the least. Ellie De La Cruz got that last lap, but the bigger picture thing is here. I love the emotion that Davey Martinez has really been shown over the last month or so. He's tired of all of these umpire antics that have been going on with bad strike three misses on Amos Willingham again two nights ago. There's been multiple situations with bad calls. David Martinez getting ejected just two weeks ago in the rain in D.C. There's a situation when Houston, obviously we know the Trey Turner play popped up once again and it went against the Nationals again. Davey Martinez is now taking on this heel aspect and I'm here for it. Davey Martinez should be getting on his guys every day, every single day. I love this from Davey Martinez. He is playing some mind games with young guys when it comes to Ellie De La Cruz. And while some people may not like that, you know, Ellie De La Cruz certainly did not like it. David Bell certainly probably did not like that. And his teammates probably didn't really like it too much. But Davey Martinez is smart in this situation. He's trying to get an Ellie De La Cruz's head. Ultimately, did it work? No. It backfired on him, but that's all right. It's going to happen. I just wanted to talk about that and talk about Knobgate, I guess we could say. Knobgate, is that what we're going to call this? Sure. We'll call it that and move on. Now let's talk about Josiah Gray's start. Josiah Gray did not look amazing yesterday. Let's get that out of the way. But he also didn't look terrible, and we do know what happened. The fifth inning, you have J. Candelario and Luis Garcia, both with awful errors that did not stop any of the bleeding from the Cincinnati Reds. There were two outs in that fifth inning. It opened the floodgates. Everything leaked after that, and the Nationals just were out of it. It was not a good game yesterday. Yesterday was a glimpse of the 2022 Washington Nationals, and that ain't a good memory. I don't want to see that performance – again. But here's the best thing about baseball. You come in the next day and you get to do your job over again. That's the best part about this game. We love baseball. You get to wipe that page, rip it out, go on to the next one. That's what the Nationals are doing today. But before we really jump into that portion of this, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, they've both impressed wildly this year. While Josiah Gray has much better numbers than Mackenzie Gore up to this point of the season, Health is wealth when it comes to both of these guys this year. I, I remember Mike Grizzo on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan. He always talked about how Josiah Gray having that full, healthy first season in the Major Leagues was a huge deal. And I was always kind of like, eh, I don't really see that. I don't really think that plays a huge difference in what he does going forward. But as we've seen this year, that jump up that he has taken so far this season has been a massive one. So now let's put the attention and put the spotlight on Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore is starting to be in that territory where he's having some rough starts, and he is starting today against the Cincinnati Reds. That could be a tough one. We'll preview that a little bit later on. But now Mackenzie Gore is in this spotlight, and he's had some rough roads. He's had a rough patch over the last month or so. But don't get lost in that. Don't get lost in the numbers. While his strikeout rate, in my opinion, has still been very good. And you look at what Mackenzie Gore has done best this year, it's putting batters away. It's getting his pitches and using them effectively because we know Mackenzie Gore has got the stuff. He's got the breaking pitches, he's got the changeup, he's got the fastball. And really what's been most impressive this season is probably his slider in my opinion. But through this 17 starts that he's had up until today, he's got 11 strikeouts per 9 innings. Now what is not the best part of McKenzie Gore's game is the four walks per nine innings. And we know that it's eaten him up over the innings here. But what I look at when it comes to young pitchers, and maybe someone who doesn't have the best ERA, like McKenzie Gore, he's got a 4-4-8. If you're into that, yeah, then he hasn't had the best season ever. You could say that, I'm sure. But his strikeout numbers, I think that kind of gives you a good definition of what this guy is, especially at a young age. Mackenzie Gore has the stuff to put away hitters. If he were to cut down on his walk rate, if he were to just cut down on his big mistakes, his big mistakes meaning leaving a hanging slider up in the zone and having someone crush it over the fence, which we have seen a couple times here recently, leaving a fastball low and in the zone, somewhere to where they can drive it. We've seen that and we've seen that really tackle him over the last portion of this month. Mackenzie Gore. His goal is health, because health is wealth going into this season. I now buy into that factor to where we just have to make sure Mackenzie Gore is, one, healthy throughout this season, and two, continues to get the work in that we need to see from Mackenzie Gore. And that work is just going out there, getting a quality start, five innings pitch, two to three earned runs, and a couple strikeouts here and there, and cut down on the walk rate. Because I do think if Mackenzie Gore were to make it this full season healthy, that would be a huge step going into next year when the Nationals will be a lot better. And they better be a lot better. Because Mackenzie Gore has got the stuff to be the ace of the staff. I've always believed that. I always will believe that. Because I believe in stuff. I believe in his slider. I believe in his fastball. I believe in his breaking pitches in general. He's got the stuff to put it all together. It's just a matter of fact of getting through this season healthy because last year he wasn't healthy. He had the elbow inflammation that we just shut him down for the rest of the year. You could have brought him back in September and he would have been able to pitch just fine. But the Nationals, they did not do that. There was no point in getting him out there when he's not 100% healthy. But now he is 100% healthy. And he has kind of proven to you what he can be when he is healthy. So the goal is for Mackenzie Gore throughout this season, is to stay healthy. While that may seem simple and that may seem plain to you, it's really not. Because you see what happened with Josiah Gray going from last year, which was atrocious for him, jumping into this year in 2023, and the steps and the leaps that he has taken going into the season, now being your Nationals All-Star. Thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. Nationals play the Reds today at 105 Eastern Time with Mackenzie Gore, our guy on the mound. Catch every pitch in the Nats Hometown Broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search Nationals there. Now, before we get into some ownership updates, because if you guys aren't aware, you should check out Barrys Faluga's post up in the Washington Post as he talked about and kind of left a little nugget there as to what could be happening with Nationals ownership soon. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago with Ted Leonsis and what the latest investment in the monumental sports entertainment could mean for the Washington Nationals sale. We're going to discuss a little bit more of that. But before we do that, let me tell you guys about our friends over at Sleeper. And guys, are you using the Sleeper app for daily fantasy baseball? Because I am. Tonight, this is what I'm going to do with Sleeper. You see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You see even Luis Garcia for your Washington Nationals. I'm going to place a little wager on them to go yard. And you want 100 times your money on Daily Fantasy Baseball. Sleeper is now offering up to 100 times payout for up to 8 top pick contests. Choose as many as 8 players that you like and pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. Use promo code locked on and you'll get up to a hundred dollars match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in all, all over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. And again, that is use code promo locked on. Now we get into the ownership update with this Washington Nationals team because we've talked about this ownership situation last year. A year ago from today. Everyone was thinking, okay, we're going into the offseason of 2022 and 2023, and we'll have new ownership come opening day of 2023. That has not happened. That has hit a kind of stagnant situation over the last few months. But you may ask yourself, what has been going on with it as of recent? Well, Barry's Faluga of the Washington Post kind of pointed to the fact that that Qatar investment that. Ted Leontes' had as a minority share in monumental sports entertainment could be a portion into buying the Washington Nationals. It could mean that this could be a step in him purchasing the Washington Nationals and especially the time of that investment. If you remember just a few weeks ago, Masson and the Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles reached an agreement to pay the Nationals the money that they were owed for multiple years. That was millions and millions of dollars. Millions. A bunch of money that the Lerner family were owed by Masson and by the Orioles, the Angelos family. So now we look at it in this sense of it. Let's just be honest. This is all speculation here. Ted Leonsis is going to be the Washington Nationals owner, whether we like it or not. Ted Leonsis is now going to be buying this Washington Nationals team. Now you may say that, And some people may be like, "Ah, I don't really know if I want that. I don't really know if I want that. I see what he has done with the Capitals. I've seen what he has done with the Wizards. Do I really want him to own a third team in town? But I think the better question is this. And if you put it this way, it makes you think a little bit. Would you rather have a stagnant ownership group like the Lerner family is now? Not really spending the money. Kind of seem to be checked out, if we're being honest. And then on the other hand, would you rather have a Ted Leonsis slash Qatari invested group that will be a little bit more cash flow? And we have seen what Leonsis has done. We, If you follow D.C. sports in town, if you follow the Capitals, and if you follow the Wizards, you certainly know what has transpired with those two teams over the years. The Capitals have won a Stanley Cup in 20, 2018. The Washington Wizards have been god-awful for years, for just being honest, sorry. Would we really want Ted Leonsis over this learner family? Now here, let's play both sides to this equation here. I don't think the learner family is as bad as everyone thinks. Everyone likes to bitch and moan about how they are the worst ownership group ever. You haven't seen Dan Snyder. And really, on the other hand, you haven't really seen Ted Leonsis, who I don't think is the best owner out there. I certainly don't think he's the worst. I don't think he's a bad owner. I don't think he's a great owner. I think he certainly had some mess-ups. I think he gave Ernie Grunfeld, the GM of the Wizards, 20 years too long. I think he gave Tommy Shepard two years too long. I think they kept on a contract with Bradley Beal way too long. And I also think with the Capitals, on the flip hand, you have Nicholas Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin. For years, and you only get to one Stanley Cup. You only get to one Eastern Conference Finals with them. While they did win a Stanley Cup, while they did have that magical carpet ride into that Stanley Cup in Vegas, there wasn't really much success out of that, besides drafting Alex Ovechkin, which is certainly an accomplishment in itself. But I think the bigger picture thing is, would you rather stay with this Lerner family situation or go with Ted Leonsis and this new ownership group to try to revamp this team, try to revamp the process and do everything the correct way about it? And I don't think I'm going to go into that territory just yet. While I don't hate the idea of Ted Leonce's owning this team. I also don't think people understand the fact that this Lerner family isn't as bad as we think. And while people should be, while I was upset this offseason as to why they didn't spend enough money, they didn't spend any money. j Mayor Candelario was their big acquisition. Corey Dickerson was probably their second biggest acquisition behind Trevor Williams. I don't think this learner family is that bad because a lot of people say, oh, they don't spend money. Multiple years for hundreds of millions of dollars to Jason Worth in 2011. Steven Strasburg got his huge extension. Patrick Corbin got his huge, huge contract. Bryce Harper was offered a big contract. Juan Soto was offered a big contract. Max Scherzer got signed to a huge contract back in the day where people thought it was a crazy overpay to be the highest paid pitcher in all of baseball. I think people forget about those things. And I also think people forget that these guys that they let go, most of them were Scott Boris clients in which they would probably leave in a lot of different places. While you can look at the other hand and say, well, the Houston Astros have found a way to keep their Scott Boris guys. Yeah, they have. The Philadelphia Phillies have found ways to scoop up these Scott Boris clients. You're correct. But also on the other hand, the Nationals were kind of in a downfall even after spending in that 2021 year. They had to pull the ripcord at some point. So do you really want to go in blindly with Ted Leonsis as an owner for baseball? Because a lot of people say, well, baseball is run a little bit like hockey. There's a long-term vision there. You have a minor league team where you have guys go and develop. So it's kind of the same structure as if you're running a hockey team. But also, do we really just want to rip the cord on this learner family? Are we really sure that we just want to give up on them just yet? Because honestly, I don't think the learner family has been as bad as people think. In fact, I think they've been a lot better than what people have thought. Now, if they go into this offseason, an offseason to where I expect the Nationals and this organization to take a massive leap forward in this rebuild and maybe spend on a player or two. If they don't spend on anyone this offseason, if you don't extend anyone, if you don't give so-and-so money as a free agent, if you don't go after some big-name free agents, and if you weren't swimming in that pool, then let's have a conversation about them. But the way that it is looking now is that Ted Leontes will most likely be buying this team if anyone does. Because at this point, it doesn't look like there's a third option. The two options out there seem to be the Lerner family sticks as the owner, or Ted Leonsis in Monumental Sports and Entertainment, they buy this team and they place this team on their own network as well so you get rid of that mass and deal. And that also goes in this equation as well, whether if you'd want Leonsis or the Lerner family, whatever would happen with the TV rights there. But on the flip side with the Leonsis thing, because I truly don't have a severe preference at this moment in time. I really don't. Now, on the other hand, Ted Leons has got that investment from a Qatari investment group. Now, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about that. We'll get to that someday. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Qatari investment group, as we've seen with Live Golf, as we've seen with plenty of other pro leagues, in soccer especially, they will spend the money. Now, if they're just being the minority ownership group, they're not going to be dishing out all the money in the world. But there is an extra cash flow there to where Ted Leonsis will absolutely need to buy his third team here. Now, will that extra cash flow mean that the Nationals will sign more free agents under Ted Leonsis? We'll just have to see. But the matter of the fact is there is an extra cash flow there to where they could buy out Masson. And they could go to NBC Sports Washington or Monumental Sports Entertainment, whatever that is called. So that is another thing to kind of balance here when talking about each of those things. Do you want to keep the learners and what we've known with them and what they can do? Because the matter of the fact is, the learners were at the forefront of that 2010s dominance. Mike Rizzo was a surefire front of that wire there. But the learners were also behind the wall. They were also making these decisions to sign Max Scherzer, to extend Steven Strasburg, to sign Patrick Corbin. While some people may clown on that, ask yourself this. Would you have signed, re-signed Steven Strasburg at that deadline for that price? Yes, you would have. I would have at least. I would have signed Patrick Corbett again, even what we know now. I would have signed him to that same deal because of 2019. Yes. Max Scherzer, you would sign that deal 100 times out of 100. Jason Worth, you would have signed that deal 100 times out of 100. So I think people need to kind of relax on this learner stance and not really just run them out of town just yet. Because you never really know with what the other team and what the other option could be. And in this situation, we do know that it is Ted Leonsis. But I think both those guys and both those ownership groups are kind of on the same level. They're not bad. They're not great. They're just fine. And I think that's a, a fine situation to be in. But what it comes down to is who's going to spend the most money. That's me selfishly thinking there. But I think that's really what it comes down to. If you were to ask me, Ryan, who do you want as the next owner? I say, who's going to spend the most money and who's going to really invest in analytics and into this team? Whoever wants that, that is my owner and that is who I'll ride with. So the Nationals do play the Cincinnati Reds today at 105 Eastern Time. You can catch Mackenzie Gore and everyone else as the Nationals and every pitch of the Nat's hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app, just search nationals there. So now we're going to continue discussing this big, big, big MLB draft. As today, we have a second round preview. And this time we're going to discuss right-handed pitcher from the University of Florida, Brandon Sprout. I'm going to tell you about that and why he fits Mike Rizzo's mold in particular right after this. And now we get into talking about right-handed pitcher, Brandon Sproat from the university of Florida. And if people who don't really know this kid, this kid was once a high MLB draft prospect coming into that 2019 MLB draft, obviously 2019 class of high school there. He was drafted in the third round by the New York Mets. And back then, Third round, he was obviously was going to get more money than what he was slotted to get in that third round. He decided to go to the University of Florida and bet on himself. And as of right now, it's looking like it will pay off, as he should be drafted in that round two area. Could even sneak into that first round, as we talked about with Cooper Pratt yesterday. But I think, I think with this Brandon Spro, I think this is a more realistic option than Cooper Pratt. One, this guy fits Mike Rizzo's mold, a big right-handed pitcher who, again, sits 99 and goes up to a 101. That's where he has hit. And I watched this guy throughout the College World Series with the University of Florida. This guy is a really good pitcher. And also, he's got the stuff to really make it and take that next jump. And as we saw last year, Mike Rizzo took a second-round arm out of college, University of Oklahoma, another College World Series guy, and that has worked out terrifically for the Washington Nationals so far with Jake Bennett. I think he could dip his toes back in that water again and go the college route in that second round and take someone who may not be this huge development piece. But here's the thing about Brandon Spro: This guy is a work in progress because what killed him over this season, his numbers aren't amazing. His numbers were all really all not that great, if we're being honest. He walked about four batters per nine innings, the same rate as Josiah Gray up in the big leagues. But as you see that jump from college baseball up in the minor leagues into the major leagues, that walk rate usually goes up just a little bit. The strike zones, teeter, just a tad there. as You see better umpiring up in the minors, tighter zones, and all that fun stuff. But I could see his walk rate climbing a little bit because that has been one of his biggest issues so far, is his walk rate, and in particular, his command, which really comes with every young pitcher. It's rare to have someone like a Paul Skeens who seems to never miss, to be quite honest. He has been a very good, consistent pitcher throughout his time with LSU. But Brandon Sprout has this high ceiling, low floor kind of guy. He's one of those guys who could be a very good top of the rotation arm if he were to work out some wrinkles in his game. His wrinkles in his game, his command. And also I think his slider, his slider, he throws a change up and he throws a slider as well. His slider, while it's not really up to par of what my opinion, what it should be as a second round pick as a college arm, I think it's something that you could work with as well. Because when I see teams and what people say about Brandon Sprout is that this guy has the ability to not only be a front of the line starter, but he could be a quick riser like a Cole Henry was back when we drafted him in the second round in 2020, And like Jake Bennett, who is now in high A Wilmington, and who could be getting pushed up the double, I hear, any moment. This Nationals team, and what Mike Rizzo does best, or does best, we could debate that. But this could be one of those guys in the second round where you take a chance on then. And also, he's kind of a safe pick in the sense that if this guy isn't going to work out as a starter, if he doesn't have the command that you would like to see from a starter, He's got the stuff to be the back end of the bullpen kind of guy, to be a closer, be a setup man, someone who could be a really good option out of the bullpen. So there's multiple different avenues that you could go with Brandon Sprout here. And that is why I kind of see the Nationals enamoring themselves with someone like this if they were to go with Dylan Cruz second overall. Now, if they go Paul Skeens, then I expect them to go that Cooper-Pratt route that we talked about yesterday someone that you could take who is high upside, who could hit like a Gunnar Henderson did in the second round years back. It's just up to the Nationals and really what they see with someone like this. But if I were Mike Rizzo, I'd take Dylan Cruz, and I'd take Brandon Sprout in that second round, and I think the Nationals would be in pretty fair territory there. The Nationals play the Reds today at 105 Eastern Time. You can catch Mackenzie Gore and catch every pitch of the Nats hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Nationals. And thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day as we are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Tomorrow again, it's Friday. It is the last show before the MLB draft. I will be discussing all of that and much, much more with Ethan Smith of Locked On Pirates and Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB prospects we're going to preview the MLB draft from the Nationals perspective what could the Pirates do at number one overall and really what is the best case scenario when it comes to the MLB draft not just for the Nationals but as well for the Pittsburgh Pirates because it all depends on what the Pirates do at number one will they decide to take Dylan Cruz the surefire in my opinion surefire number one top prospect in this draft or will they go Paul Skeen's Or will they go another high schooler route? We'll just have to see. We'll discuss it all on tomorrow's Locked On Nationals with a big crossover edition before the MLB Draft. We'll catch you guys then. Have a good one. We can't wait for the MLB Draft.